to you by naturopathicearth.com. Here is certified health coach A. Gregory Luna with Confessions of an Obese Child. Hello, everybody. This is A. Gregory Luna. Of course, you can call me Gregory. Welcome back to another episode of Confessions of an Obese Child. I hope you're doing well today. It has been some time since we did a Confessions episode, a standalone one. We did one about a month ago, which we shared with Holistic Health News, my flagship podcast about how many people, up to a third of people, would rather have their arm amputated, go blind, have a special eds kid, and other pretty horrible things than be overweight. But uh, we haven't had a standalone confessions episode in some time, so I'm glad we are back. Today we're going to be talking about survivor guilt, survivor guilt. But before we begin, the website is Naturopathic Earth. Go check out all the recipes and holistic articles, natural remedy articles, essential oil articles, and all the other wicked retarded stuff, as the East Coast Bostonians would say. Go check that out. I am a certified holistic, paleo-inspired, a lot of adjectives there, paleo-inspired health coach. So if you need some like help in weight loss or weight maintenance, please contact me through the website or on Facebook. I am Albert Gregory on Facebook if you want to contact me through that way. I, I tend to check those messages more than I check the email that is linked to the website. So that's a good way to contact me. So always, if you want to help out the enterprise, please, we have a Patreon account. You can see the the links in the episode notes and just click on it and donate anywhere from a dollar to five dollars to ten dollars to fifteen dollars to twenty dollars to a thousand dollars. There are some some incentives if you donate fifteen dollars a month or more. If you can go check it out on our Patreon account, you'll see what those incentives are. And I do have my ebook, my Another way to support us is that I have the first part of my memoirs, Confessions of an Obese Child, available on Amazon, Kindle, and Barnes & Noble Nook for $2.99. So follow the episode notes and click on that link and you can go buy that. If you have the unlimited package for Amazon Kindle, you can read it for free and post an honest review. That'd be great. I do plan to write a second part of my memoirs. And I also have a video that I'm going to make hopefully in the first half of 2019, about how to lose a lot of weight and keep it off. Because you know, I do have a unique perspective. There aren't a lot of people who've lost over 100 pounds that kept it off for a quarter of a century. So that is in the works. But given with teaching and just maintaining the site and doing podcasts, I'm having some trouble finding the time to do it. But you know what they say, if something's important enough, you will find the time to do it. So I need to find the time to do it, right? Excuses aren't going to get you anywhere, right? All right, so let's talk about survivor's guilt. All right, survivor's guilt. There's some reasons for why I wanted to do this episode really since the beginning. You know, when I when I created the Confessions of the Obese Child series back in way, way, way back January of 2017, I can't believe it's been two years now, 
Um, that was one of the the vignettes that I wanted to do. If, if you're if you're new to confessions, if you notice, the first twenty episodes are vignettes on my life of experiences that happened to me as a child. So you have. Uh, the binge eater, the locker room, the amusement park, the swimming pool, and so forth. And then you noticed in the last 20 episodes or so, it discusses coping mechanisms that I developed uh, that lingered into my adulthood that affected my relationships with the opposite sex and my self-esteem and other things. Because again, some people and, and some of you who have lost weight and kept it off, know that you just don't wake up one day and you're a skinny person with a normal adjusted eating habits and a normal view of yourself. It takes time. And so those latter 20 episodes really focus on on, on those coping mechanisms that I think we all develop when you come out of early childhood trauma. And so I wanted to cover survivor's guilt because I've, I've dealt with survivor's guilt uh, for some time. So if you're not familiar with survivor's guilt. Survivor's guilt is essentially a, a condition that occurs when a person believes they've done something wrong by surviving a traumatic event when others did not. Typically, survivor's guilt is seen in wartime stuff. Uh, so, you know, you and your platoon go out and you're the only one that survives and, and you saw another guy next to you get blown off and that bullet was meant for you and he pushed you out of the way or just in general, you know, someone next to you or somebody that you knew died and in, in combat, in harm's way, and you did not. Another form of survivor's guilt would be planes, right? You you, you had this premonition, like in uh, Final Destination, Final Destination, all those movies, you had this premonition not to get on the plane. And so you didn't get on the plane, and then everybody died in the plane crash, and you're like, why me, why me? Now, survivor's guilt was in the DSM-4. So the DSM is a Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Health Disorders. We've talked about it when we've uh, discussed some of the mental health topics in Holistic Health News. So it was in the DSM-4, which is kind of the Bible for psychologists and psychiatrists, but they did remove it and they added it into the PTSD category because essentially it is a PTSD phenomenon. And so with survivor's guilt, the way I apply it to me is, you know, pretty simply, I was a morbidly overweight adolescent. If you listen to the episode Dark Night of the Soul, which was around episode 18, I discussed my cutting and my suicidal ideation and my suicidal attempts. At that point, I was about 280 pounds. I was about a size 58 waist. And I honestly, of course, hindsight's 2020, but at the time, there was no reason for me to believe that I was ever going to lose my weight. And so I, I thought there was no out. This was going to be my life. I, we didn't have those reality shows back in the early 90s, you know, the, about the, my 600-pound life and, and all these things. But I, I thought that I would be like those men and women when I went to the Big and Tall store, which was episode 14, and we would give that look of, of, of that nod of sadness. I remember going there as a teenager and seeing all the other overweight people, and in particular the overweight adolescents, and we would just give each other that nod of shame, that nod of, you know, you're so effing pathetic. We're so effing pathetic that we have to shop at a store where the fashion is horrible and overpriced, and you know we're horrible, and we deserve to be here, and we're just pathetic people. And then you would look at the adults, and the adults would be 300, 350-pound people. And so I, I thought that that was going to be my lot in life, because why would I think otherwise? 
I was gaining weight at an inordinate amount at a very fast rate. And I thought at the time, had I not killed myself, I would probably be 400, 500 pounds and eventually you know, be uh, in a bed uh, because I couldn't control my eating and I had so much self-loathing at the time. And only by the grace of God and hard work, and, and these are things that I need to remember, especially hard work, but the grace of God part is, is connected to the survivor guilt. But I did lose my weight. Go to that episode around episode 21 and how I lost it. I lost it in the, my final year of high school. And there must have been certain precipitating factors that caused me to finally want to lose the weight. But I did lose the weight. And there was a time, if you listen to the Lumbering Athlete episode, where I had lost my weight. And in my senior year in high school, the football coaches came up to me. Or I should say it was the junior year before I had lost my weight. And the football coaches came up to me and they were like, Luna, we want you to play football. And I was not that athletic at all. I mean, I did play soccer when I was a child, but I got so fat that I had to retire from the game at age 11 because I couldn't adapt to the bigger soccer field. But they asked me to to play. And, and I look back at that time, and I talk about this in that episode, had I agreed to play football, uh, they wanted me to be, of course, offensive line because I was 280 pounds. They, I, I would have stayed fat the rest of my life, no doubt, because that was right, right before I started losing my weight. But in football, of course, they're going to want you to, to stay big to protect the quarterback, right? You got to be part of the team. But ultimately, I chose not to play football, not because I didn't think I was athletic enough. And, and I was tempted, guys, because I knew that if I was on the football team, the kids that used to bully me in my, my all-boy Catholic Jesuit school, I thought part of me thought, well, they would stop bullying me. Even though part of me knew that even though I was part of the team, they'd probably still bully me. But I end up being like the the fat kid in Varsity Blues and the token fat kid in a lot of these high school movies where I'd just be the butt of jokes and be the funny one. But I, 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 it was my own insecurity, which I guess this time around helped, where I thought that I, I can't be on the football team because I'd actually, <laughs> it, I actually thought it, was, it all boiled down to I would have to change in front of these guys every day. I'd have, I'd have to shower with these guys. And it's not like my, my PE coach would be sensitive enough or my football coach would be sensitive enough to say, but like, Luna, you can go change in the, in the bathroom stall. No, I'd have to change in them. And I, and I had uh, trauma going back to the scoliosis test. If you go to the locker room episode, which is for, of having to take off my shirt and bend over in, in um, elementary school and middle school that, I mean, and I got to keep my super, super elastic, big and tall store shorts on for the Scully test, but but in the locker room, I'd have to be naked and shower. I was like, I couldn't handle that. And that's why I said no to them. And I guess that was a, a pivotal moment because had I stayed, I would have certainly never lost my weight because I, I honestly believe that had I not began losing my weight in the second half of the junior year of high school, I, I would have stayed fat because that was like the one window where I met the PE coach because look, I would not have met Coach Webster had I been in football, because I would have been in the football class and not in regular PE class. So I did lose the weight. So why do I have survivor's guilt? Well, it's pretty simple. There are loads of people who are overweight in this country. We have the overweight rate is 60% right now, and which is 20% over your BMI. And the obesity rate is 35%, which is over 20% of your BMI. So we know obesity is a major problem in the United States and in general in the Western world. Uh, Europe is certainly caught up to us. And China, for example, is it's catching up to us as well. So I look around and... 
I see a lot of overweight people, morbidly overweight people who are my age or younger or older. And I think, why me? Why? Why me? Why did I get to lose the weight and have a life and not those other people? And this is classic survivor's go because I can't understand it, why I was able to do it and why others can't. And then we'll go back to this later. And so then I think, why, why I was able to do it and how my life was so different because I lost the weight. Had I not lost the weight, I would have been fairly confident, morbidly, morbidly overweight, three, three, 400 pounds. And so what kind of life would I've had? Certainly not the kind of life that I, I did have post weight loss. So I, and, and I could be wrong. Look, I'm not saying that morbidly over people don't get married, but at the time I did not know any women when I was morbidly overweight. And so I, I envisioned a future where I thought, well, there's, I'm not going to be with a woman. I'm never going to kiss a woman. I'm never going to have sex with a woman. I'm certainly never going to marry a woman. I mean, I was, I was still being uh, treated by my mother for rashes. So she would sprinkle baby powder on me, even when I was 16, 17 years old, because my thighs were so, so big that they would chafe and I'd get really bad rashes down in the genitalia. And imagine how mortifying it is to be a 16-year-old male who's got to take off his pants and lie on his back uh, with no underwear and have your mother apply baby powder uh, down to your genitalia. So I knew that I stunk. You know, I had fat rolls, and we have an episode on fat rolls and, and, and just body dysmorphia couple episodes back on the confessions feed. So I stunk to high heaven because it was hard to bathe myself. I smelled like this weird combination of sweat, baby powder, and really bad imposters, fake cologne. Remember back in the 90s where you could go to like Walgreens or CVS and buy the fake obsession, fake eternity perfumes and colognes. So I had this weird smell. And so I was like, there's no way I'm going to get a woman. Even then I had the kind of the self-awareness to know that, that I am not attractive and all these things that I'm mentioning right now weren't going to make me more attractive, right? I got baby powder smell. And so I thought, well, I'm never going to be intimate with a woman. And then, but, but part of me thinks, well, there's are, there are overweight people who do get married to other people. And so they would have had relations and, 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 and kiss and all these other things. But at the time I didn't think that. So I look at the fork in the road, and this is where the survivor's guilt really kicks in. One road would would have likely been, and I could be wrong, you never know, that I would have stayed overweight, gotten more overweight, morbidly overweight, 400, 500 pounds probably, and I either would have died of a heart attack at 35, 40, 45, 50 alone with no sexual relations and no ability to travel and do kind of the physical activity things that I was able to do and maybe have gone down the road of, of hiring escorts or ladies like escorts or go to strip joints. Uh, because again, I mean, I'm, I, I'm a, I'm a overweight man, but I'm still a man and I still have needs as a man. And since those needs would not have been fulfilled by a life partner, uh, who knows? I could have gone down the road of escorts and all that. So that's one road. One road would have been no intimacy, no no physical activity, 
and having to resort to paying for the attention and affections of the opposite sex and then dying at 35, 40, a fatty liver disease, diet, diabetes, heart attack, stroke, whatever was going to afflict me. And then, and then I look at the road that I actually went down because I did lose the weight. And that was the road of kind of having a normal, I wouldn't say a normal college and then in life in the twenties and thirties, but I did meet somebody in college, my ex-wife, and I did date some women in college, but not really, not really. I wasn't comfortable with my body and I wasn't comfortable with myself. I, 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 after I had lost the weight, I was attractive guy, but I would look in the mirror. And of course, if you go back to that episode on body dysmorphia and fat rolls, I talk about how I would never look at my body at all in the mirror and that I would even keep my lights dim when I was shaving because I just didn't want to see the skinny body of mine because I knew I had the bloopy and the fat rolls and the stretch marks. So when I was in college, I wasn't thinking, oh, you know, hey, Albert, you're a good looking guy. You can get any woman. You can get those sorority girls at your university or whatever. I, I still felt unattractive. And so I really only... I guess flirted or went after women that that I thought I could get who were still pretty average to uh, unattractive women. But eventually, I did meet my ex-wife, and I, you know, I was engaged, and we got married, and I had children with her. And subsequent to the divorce, I've had relationships uh, with with other women, and so I feel like. And I've been able, of course, to, to keep my weight off. So I feel like that was the other road. The other road was that I had the life of a, quote, normal person, close quote. And I've been able to travel and to hike and to run and, and, and exercise and and not have a heart attack by the time I was 35 and have normal relations with the opposite sex, have normal sexual relations with the opposite sex. Now, I know my students really don't listen to this feed, but if they were hearing this, they're like, oh my God, Mr. Lynn, that's so disgusting. I don't want to envision teachers having sex. Well, you know what's the news flash students? We don't like to envision students having sex, okay? As it is me having to watch kids make out in the hallways and it's not always hetero. Lots of times it's lesbians kissing in the hallways. We don't like seeing that either. So, okay, so, so get over it. So I have this one road where I have this normal life. And I might live, you know, God willing, to 70, 75, whatever the life expectancy is for men right now, 75. And so that's the fork in the road. And so then I, I, I think about the survivor's guilt. So let, let's talk about survivor's guilt per se. Let's take a quick break. Okay, so let's talk about the survivor's guilt. So I look in the mirror, which I really don't look in the mirror, but metaphorically speaking, and I think, why me? Why did I get to lose the weight? I look around, I see, I see other overweight people in my life. I and I know some some people, most of the overweight people in America, gain their weight post high school. But I mean, I know people who were overweight their their entire life, and I think, why why me? And then I think, okay, why did I get to enjoy? the experiences of being a, a normal American and others don't. I have a particular friend and we'll say his name is Roger. And I went to college with Roger. Roger was overweight. He went to a all boys school in San Antonio and he was on the football team. He was encouraged to be on the football team and he got diabetes at age 16. And I met him in college and he was overweight. And at that point, of course I had lost my weight and in the subsequent 20, 25 years, he has gotten worse. His diabetes has caused him to have end-stage renal failure. So he's been on dialysis for 15 years. 
His kidneys are shot. He likely won't get a kidney transplant, so his life expectancy is shortened. He got cancer, which is linked to obesity. And he had a leg amputated because of the diabetes. And he's had some fingers amputated. And he's had the life of having to hire escorts ever since we were in college. I remember I I had this horrible kind of enabling pattern with him where Roger and I made a deal. And the deal was if he would take me to restaurants, we would play basketball to a certain extent as much as he could manage to play basketball because he was an overweight guy. And afterwards, we had this deal where he would take me to Chili's or I would say I would would drive. He didn't have a car. That we would go to Chili's and he would pay for my meal and I would eat a lot of food because, again, this was right after my weight loss. Go back to the episode College Dysfunction where I talk about my my binge fast uh, experiences where I would binge for two days over the weekend and then literally starve from Monday to Friday. And so he would, and we would eat a lot of food at Chili's. And in exchange for that, I would drive him to an escort place or a strip joint. And I wouldn't go in because I never felt comfortable at those places, but I would just sit in the car or drive around or whatever. And that was the deal that we made. And so I look at Roger and I think my life could have been Roger. I could have one leg be an end stage renal failure and then, you know, maybe die at you know 48 or whatever. He's still alive right now, but clearly he's got some you know, comorbid morbidity problems. And so I think why, why did I not go down the road of Roger? And then I think, well, I worked hard. Yes, I did work hard, and I've worked very hard. And I have to admit, I work less hard now in my 40s than I definitely did in my 20s or 30s. And I think that is motivated largely by the fear of gaining the weight back when I was in my 20s and 30s because at the time, you know, I still wanted to be attractive to the opposite sex, and I, I wanted to get married and, and procreate and all these things. And when, I, when you're in your 40s, and I'm, I'm assuming when I'm in my 50s and 60s, you just don't care as much. Like, like, I, look, like I look at guys in the locker room of my gyms. Like, the guys in the 20s and 30s, like, they walk around with their towels, or the, they'll go into the steam room fully clothed. And then you look at the guys in their 60s and 70s, they just don't give a damn. They don't even wear a towel when they're walking around the locker room or in the steam room. They just go in naked, because you just don't care the older you get. So then they go, okay, well, I worked hard. Well, didn't Roger work hard? Don't all these people who are overweight work hard to try to lose their weight? So why did I succeed and they didn't? I don't know. Maybe I worked harder. You know, it goes back to when we talk about socioeconomic class, how there's rich people who work hard, and then we say, well, the poor work hard. You know, they work hard. They deserve to get paid, like minimum wage or whatever. And no doubt, like if you're a janitor or if you work in a coal mine, you're likely working harder than than some white collar job. But working hard doesn't mean it doesn't necessarily translate to success. I mean, you can work really hard in coal mines since you were 18 and then die of some sort of lung disease, like uh, what is it, like uh, black lung, at 34. So working hard doesn't necessarily translate to success. So I think, okay, well, maybe I was just you know working really hard. I picked the right music playlist and I dedicated working out every day, doing cardio every day for, you know, at least 15 years straight back through my twenties. And they didn't. I also think, well, I never had an injury. I have never had a major injury, not gone wood uh, for the last 25 years that stopped me from working out ever. And maybe these people did. And then, and then I ultimately go to the biggest of the survivors go, which is religion and God. So I think, okay, God, through the grace of God, I lost my weight. Okay, so why did God 
bless me with the ability to lose weight, but, but he doesn't love Roger. He doesn't love the other people that were morbidly overweight children, adolescents who are now four, five hundred, six hundred pounds. He doesn't love them. He didn't want them to lose the weight, but he wanted me to lose the weight. And then when I go down that road, then I think, okay, do I have some special mission in life? Like some God, like I develop a God complex where like God, God allowed me to lose the weight so I can be this ambassador to weight loss or he has a special mission for me. I used to think that maybe, I used to think this a little, a little, not, not a lot like narcissistic way back in the twenties. Like, well, maybe God maybe wanted me to lose weight so I can become president or, or, you know, do something fantastic that uh, staying overweight wouldn't have allowed me to do. Because again, we judge people who are overweight as being less competent. There's a lot of studies showing that. So I thought, well, maybe God wanted me to lose the weight because I could be some sort of missionary for some special purpose, uh, which never really came about. I guess, you know, I'm a teacher, which is a special job, uh, but I don't, I think that ever fleshed out. So I think, okay, well, maybe, maybe that's why I lost the weight to be a missionary for a special purpose. But ultimately, I, I just don't understand this question. You know, why did I lose the weight? Why did God want me to lose the weight? And God doesn't want the other people to lose the weight. God, I believe in God. I believe God and he can perform miracles uh, through intermediaries, inter- intermediaries. And so I wonder, it's like, okay, well, why doesn't God just cure all these people and just make them all lose their weight? Or at the least, you know, motivate them to go work out and eat well and so forth. And I don't have an answer for that because I haven't talked to God. And if I die and if I'm lucky, if I go to heaven through via purgatory, now all you Protestants would be like, oh my God, purgatory doesn't exist. Okay, whatever. Okay, The church has believed it in 2,000 years. There's scriptural background for it. It's a place where you wash yourself of any sinly attachment before you go to heaven. So eventually, if I do do uh, talk to God or Christ through the beatific vision and I ask him, it's like, hey, what up? Why, why did I get to lose the weight if these other people did it? Maybe I'll get an answer. Now, the common answer you get is, well, God has a plan. Okay, so God has a plan for my friend Roger to die young and uh, have to hire escorts and have one leg and cancer and you know be on dialysis four hours a day, four days a week. I mean, is, is that the kind of God that we have? I mean, and, 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 I, and I can't answer that either because you know one of the other arguments you have for God, not to get too metaphysical, is like God is the parent and we are the children. And so sometimes God, or sometimes the parents have to give their children vaccines. And I know this is a horrible analogy, uh, because I'm anti-vax, right? I'm pretty anti-vax, but okay, whatever. Just go with it. So God, God is the parent, and so sometimes bad things have to happen to us, or things that we don't understand because we're this, you know, four-year-old child who's getting the vaccine, and we don't know why mommy and daddy are allowing this mean man or woman doctor to put this sharp thing in my body, which is going to hurt. But we have to have faith, and even though we don't fully understand why mommy and daddy are allowing it, because we trust them that they know what's best for us. And so I guess you could apply that to God. We don't understand God's plan. God allows suffering through the fall of Adam uh, for things, bad things to happen to us. But at the same time, he can intercede if he wants to intercede. So it, it's a strange thing. And I know some of you agnostic atheists right now I'm probably like, yeah, exactly, Gregory, figure it out. God doesn't exist, right? Uh, but no, I'm not going to go down that road because the way I look at it, and, and I'm not hedging my bets, but ultimately everybody in our lives die and go away. I mean, maybe you're young and it hasn't happened, but moms, dads, grandparents, friends, siblings eventually. Like I look at my mom, she had six brothers and sisters, She and there's only one, two left. Everybody dies. So at the end of your life, you have nobody but God. 
And so I, I truly want to believe that God exists. Uh, because what kind of life is it if God doesn't exist? I mean, it's it just kind of that, that, that kind of nihilistic, hedonistic worldview of just, you know, just, just it's all about pleasure and, and, and I guess making the best of yourself. And then that's it. You just become maggot food and that's it. I don't want to believe in that. I don't believe in that. So I have to understand that God might have a plan that I don't understand. And maybe God has a plan for these people where he wants them to stay overweight so they can have misery and not maybe have relations and and have all these horrible medical problems and then die at 50 of a heart attack? I don't know. I have no idea. And I don't think any of you guys have any idea either why people, certain people get uh, some sort of uh, divine providence put in their in their life where a great thing happens to them why other people don't. We, I, there's just no way to understand it. But going back to me, I mean, that, that that is something that I grappled with for decades. Now, I don't deal with survivor's guilt as much now. Now it's more of just kind of a, a wandering rumination. But certainly in the 20s, right after I had lost my weight, and I was experiencing some of the pleasures of being, you know, 20-something, normal way to 20-something, this would really uh, be on my mind, and I remember going to church because I'm I, I weekly I go to church weekly, and uh, I would be at, at mass and I would pray and I would I would ask God, you know, please help all those who are overweight to to lose weight, and please help those who have lost their weight to keep it off. And of course, there's other prayers, but that that's the only one really specific to this podcast episode. And uh, I would do that because it's like I was able to enjoy the, some of the, the the pleasures of being a, a, a normal weighted human. And these other people didn't. And so I, I couldn't figure it out. But I had a lot of guilt about it. I had a lot of guilt. Why me? Just like the guys who, like Buddy Holly and uh, Waylon Jennings, if you know the big bopper, Buddy Holly and Richie Valens, they got on that plane the day the music stood still or whatever, and they ended up dying. And Waylon Jennings was the country star, was supposed to be on the, on the, on the, um, the plane. And Buddy Holly told him, you know, I hope you freeze your arse on the bus. And then Waylon Jennings said, I hope your plane crashes and well, it crashed. So well, I know Waylon Jennings had survivor guilt for some time. And that, that is legit survivor's guilt because he was supposed to be on the plane and die. But I have survivor's guilt too. And I, and, and I just don't know how to grapple with it, guys. And, and to be honest, at the end of this episode here, I, I don't really have an answer. I mean, that's the whole point of confessions of an obese child. Sometimes it's just to ruminate and ponder on things that, that I don't understand. And so I don't understand it. I was able to lose the weight and I did do hard work. Did I work harder than other people? Maybe. Did I have luck? Yeah, I never had an injury. Uh, but is there such a thing as luck, or is that Lady Fortune, or is that Providence? You know, does God watch over certain people more than others? Did my guardian angel make sure I never broke my femur? I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And I guess the only way we're going to find out is when we die. So I think, okay, maybe I did work harder, or maybe just God wanted me to lose the weight, but he didn't want others to lose the weight. And then if I think that way, then I think God's kind of a, you know, a, a not a nice guy. I was going to use some profanity there, but he's just not a nice guy. And I think, well, well, then I have that, that young person's view, like, uh, you know, there's that old saying by Twain, it says, those who are young and not liberal, liberal are heartless, and those who are old and not conservative are brainless. 
And so I, I have this like youthful view of like, well, you know, why can't we just go into malls and just grab whatever we want and leave and not have to pay? Why do we have to pay? You know, a kind of idealistic view that a lot of college kids have. And so I had this kind of view with God. It's like, well, why doesn't God just cure everybody of their obesity or just not cure them, but just help them lose their weight? Why doesn't God do that? I don't, I don't understand. God should just have everybody lose their weight because why would he want them to be overweight? And so that was my, my worldview because I don't understand it. I really don't understand it. But I do have survivor's guilt. Luckily, I don't have it as much, but I, it does haunt me as to why I was able to lose this weight and have a normal life and others didn't. And if there's anyone who's overweight listening to this, I, I and they'll be like, well, you know, Gregory being kind of, you know, a, kind of a D-bag about this, you know, I did have a normal life. I did get married and I've had normal sexual relations and I've, I've been able to do a lot of things. That's great. That's great, and I could be completely wrong. You know, I'm I, I'm looking back at my 18 year old self who lost the weight and dealing with the survivor's guilt, making the assumption that people who are four or five hundred pounds didn't have those things. So if you did have those things, great, God bless you. Uh, but but I just made the assumption that most people who were that morally overweight couldn't have relations because they stunk to high heaven like I did and had baby powder sprinkled all over them. So my takeaway, guys, is I don't know. I don't know why uh, I was able to lose the weight. I don't know why the other people couldn't lose their weight. And I'm certainly not going to say because they're lazy or because they didn't work hard enough. Maybe they're so beaten down by their obesity that they just don't see any point in working out. Maybe they think they're 400 pounds and like, what is five pounds going to do? I will say that when I was 280 and I started losing the weight, which Coach Webster I did start losing you know, four or five pounds, and that was the one that gave me the motivation to keep going. So, guys, I mean, you just try to lose that those first four or five pounds, the water weight lots of times. Also, now with bariatric surgery, I mean, bariatric surgery is a godsend to morbidly overweight people where there are certainly uh, complications and risk factors. There's a high rate of suicide. That's why a lot of bariatric uh, people have to have mental health evaluations done before the surgery. But overall, I mean, that is something that I didn't have in 1991 uh, to help me lose the weight. So that is kind of a, a nice thing for morbidly overweight people to kind of turn to as a recourse. And so you have that opportunity. So guys, that's all I have to say really today, talking about survivor's guilt. Uh, yeah, it's just something I grapple with. And, and that's why I love the confessions feed. It's, it's not nearly as newsworthy. And I'm not talking about news-related stuff like enlisted health news. It's more about just my own personal experiences and things that, that I grapple with as a formerly overweight person and topics that, that overweight people and people with food addiction can relate to. And this is something that I relate to. So if any of you lost weight and have survivor's guilt as well, please contact me through Twitter or message me through Facebook or Instagram. And you know we, we could definitely talk about it. I do want to mention I did do an interview uh, with a male uh, formerly overweight person. And I'm going to publish this in uh, in June, and I'd like to interview a couple people for confessions as well. So there probably won't be another confessions episode until February. So just stick to holistic health news and, and keep getting your your weight loss, weight maintenance, clean eating tips, and other medical news from that feed. All right, guys. Until next time, God bless. Take care. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Confessions of an Obese Child. Make sure to visit us at www.naturopathicearth.com for additional confessions, wellness articles, recipes, and a whole lot more. Leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe to this podcast. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Naturopath Earth. 
See you next time.